Our Lenten series, Life Together, continues this evening, taking a look at the claim of the postmodern world that I should be true to myself. You know how it goes. You've done it countless times. At the airport security checkpoint, you're required to show your identification to prove who you are. When you and I use a credit card, we're asked to show our identification with a state-approved picture ID. Think about your identity. It's important, isn't it? Your identity, your identity distinguishes you from the six billion other people on this earth. Your identity distinguishes who you are. It, it gives you a purpose, a, a direction for your life. So a question that's very obvious, who are you? When we spent some time in Kenya, it was amazing to us to be introduced to a, a nation that was made up of, of eight or nine tribes of people. And if you ask that question in Kenya, who are you? The response would likely be, I'm a Luo, I'm a Kisi, I am Maasai, I am Kikuyu. You see, they identified themselves first and foremost by their tribe. And what was even more amazing to Grace and I as we tried to identify this tribal uh, culture that we lived in is that Kenyans could look at each other and determine who was of which tribe. They could tell it by certain facial features. Some noses were sharply, sharply defined, some were flatter. By skin tone, some were blacker than other blacks were black. And the tones were different. Some by height, some by the jewelry they wore, some by the, 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 the tattoos and the disfigurations they used. But the, the telling piece of evidence, if somebody was trying to hide what language or what um, tribal group they belonged to, the person inquiring would begin to ask them in their tribal language. So if they were Kisi, they would begin to speak to them in Kisi. If they were Luo, they would speak in Luo because only the tribes knew their mother tongue, their tribal language. Very few people learned other tribes. So if you ask the question, who are you? In that society, you would be identified by a certain tribe. But we're not in Kenya, and you're not of a tribe. But you still have that same question. Who are you? Who are you? Some people like to say, I'm being true to myself. That's who I am. Well, how can you be true to yourself if you really don't know your true identity? How can you be true to God if you're not sure about who you are in his presence? When Jesus was on the cross, he said, he prayed to his father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There were some people there on Calvary that day who knew what they were doing. They were being true to themselves. There were the thieves next to him who were mocking him. Judas Iscariot had been true to himself. He was a traitor, and he betrayed his Lord and Savior. It's a soul-searching question when you start looking at who you are and what you do, and you ask yourself the question, who am I? 
or when somebody looks at you with a strange look on their face and says, who are you? What are you doing? Well, maybe if I paused long enough, you'd begin to think about it. And the easy answer, the first one that I would hope would come to your, your, your mind would be, well, I know, I'm a Christian. I can tell because I'm in church. And I'm surrounded by other people in church. And the candles are lit. And the lights are on. And the music is playing. So I must be a Christian because I'm in church. But let's push that a little bit. How many of you are still looking for a purpose in life? A number of people at St. Mark are going through a Bible study right now called The Purpose Driven Life. And each week we take another peel back, like, a, like peeling an onion, we peel back another layer of that question. What is my purpose in life? What would God have me to do? Or another way of asking that question is, who am I? What am I doing? How many of you are still searching for your true place in life? Trying to identify exactly who it is that you are supposed to be. Some of you are of an age that are closer to mine and close to mine. And we all grew up in a time of less media. I often tell people my, my dad was an electrical contractor and his, the boss that he worked for ran a television uh, was a television distributor. So we were one of the first people, certainly in our relation, we were the, one of the first people to have a television. And suddenly we had all the relatives coming to our house because they'd like to come and watch the television. We could watch one of three channels on a good day, right? And maybe if you were that age, you relied on a newspaper that came every day to find out what was going on. Certainly you had a radio. Today it's different. We're bombarded from every direction. We were with some friends over the weekend, and we were all trying to balance our cell phones and the laptops and the iPads and the iPods and trying to figure out who's going to get the charger next. We were being bombarded by so many different kinds of media. And they all have a different message. There's commercials. There are pundits. There are self-help programs. There are lifestyle magazines. They're all designed to tell us who we are what we should be, what we should do, what we should wear, certainly works to undermine confidence when I say, I know who I am. Well, do you really? Have you seen what's on the checkout counter? Maybe you should take another poll, figure out what it is. How many of you are on social media? Maybe on Facebook, maybe on Twitter, maybe you have an Instagram account. Isn't that fantastic? Talk about an identity crisis. You can be whoever you want to be, right? You can make up all kinds of things on Facebook. You can, you can put an avatar up there with a picture that's a lot cuter than you are, right? You can remake yourself and put it out there for the world to see. And if somebody challenges you, you just defriend them and they can't tell you that you're not telling the truth anymore. Talk about an identity crisis. We live in a time when we can literally create our own identity. Well, what about creating our own values and moralities? We say we don't do it, but I'm sure, I'm convinced, at least I know for myself, that even the best Christians like to pick and choose what parts of the Bible that we like to live by. You know, 
that makes me uncomfortable, so maybe I'm not going to read that section. But over here, it kind of indicates that I'm doing pretty good, so I'm going I'm to highlight this part, and I'm going to kind of close that part off. We pick and choose what we want to hear from God's Word. What about identity theft? What a terrifying experience that can be. People can actually steal somebody else's identity. If you lose your social security number or your banking information, personal information, someone can pretend to be you and spend all of your money for you. As if we can't find enough ways to spend our own money. And your identity is gone. And then you have to try and convince people that you really are who you are. And that you didn't do all those bad things that it looks like you did. One person has described our identities and, and the problem with our identities uh, is that it's, it's like being made up of a patchwork quilt. A patchwork quilt is made up of a bunch of very different brightly colored patches. All of them are slightly different. And the quilters take these pieces and they sew them together and they make a quilt that has all different kinds of patterns and different kinds of colors and different kinds of shapes and different kinds of textures. And every piece of patchwork quilt, every patchwork quilt is completely different. It's unique. I think that's a good way of picturing what we try to do when we create our own identities. We take a little bit from one relationship, maybe a little bit from our occupation, uh, and we fabricate our, our own realities. We, we put together our view of ourselves in the world like people put together a patchwork quilt. Maybe we take a little bit from our parents, a little bit from our experiences, something from work, something from church, something we read in the Bible, something we saw on television, and we put it all together and we say, this is who I am. In effect, it's the sin of Adam and Eve all over again. Instead of living our lives as the image of God, we tend to remake ourselves into our own image. So our lives begin to reflect that patchwork quilt, crafted from whatever we think is best for us. And it's in that kind of a situation that, again, we hear the words of Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. We don't know who we are anymore. We've lost sight of our true identity. We let the, world of, the ways of the world influence who we are. And we say, well, I'm going to believe how I want to believe. We say to ourselves that I'm being true to myself. I've made myself into who I want to be, and that's how I'm going to live. So I have to ask you again, who are you? But this time, let's try and answer that question from God's perspective. How does God see me? How does God see you? How does God see all of us? To answer that question, we don't have to look any further than God's word. Our true identity is found in only one place, in only one person, in Jesus the Christ. In our text, Peter told the congregation he was writing to, he said, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. That's a powerful message. You have been born again. 
And being born again, hearing those words makes us think of baptism. Because in our baptism, we were baptized into the death and into the resurrection of Jesus. And it was that action of God baptizing us into Jesus Christ himself that our identity was changed. We were given a new identity. We died and we rose again. So when Peter says that you have been born again, he's telling us that that our identity as condemned sinners has been changed. And now our identity stamp says, forgiven child of God. We have been changed from trusting no one but ourselves and have been changed into putting our trust into the hands of a heavenly father who died to give us a new life. We talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about putting our trust in the hands of a loving father. Well, I want you to know that you can trust this. Your patchwork identity that you've tried to pull together and make yourself has been changed into a life that's shaped by the loving hands of Jesus Christ. That's true for you. That's true for me. That's true for all of us. We don't have to pay for that new identity. We cannot earn that identity through hard work. Because of ourselves, by ourselves, we are unsure of who we are. But God comes to us and identifies us and says, In my son, I have made you my son. I have made you my daughter. I have called you by name. You are mine. That's our identity. And even though we we are confident in that identity, we must be aware that that identity is constantly being threatened. As we said before, we live in a society that bombards us with messages that tells us who the world wants us to be. When you think about it, so much around us is here today and gone tomorrow. We change. If you don't believe it, ask yourself this. Have you changed your hobby? Have you rearranged your furniture? Do you still use the same brand you did last year? Or if you haven't changed yet, thinking of cell phones, how soon before you can get out of your contract so you can get a new phone and a new company? You see, change is all around us, and we have to be aware of it. It seems like the only constant in life is change. The challenge is not to let those changes of life change who you are. Not to let the world's purposes take away from our true purpose. Peter quoted the apostle or the prophet Isaiah when he said, All flesh is like grass, and all of its glory is like the flower of the grass. It withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Like grass, our human life is temporary and fleeting. Peter tells us there's only two two things that are constant. One of them is change. Because change is constant. It's constantly happening. But more importantly, he said, God's word is constant. It does not change. This is the word that was preached to you, he said. This is the good news that I have for you. His word never changes. It engages our ever-changing lives. So that no matter how much things change around us, God's word is there to tell us who we are and what God has done for us. 
and what he enables and empowers us to do in a world that needs the light that God has given us. Week by week, we come together as God's people in this place, and we are confronted with his word to engage our lives, to keep us true to who we are in Christ. Your identity, the way that God sees you as a perfect child does not change, just as God's word does not change. The father heard the son's words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it wasn't just applied to those people around Calvary on that Good Friday, but those words applied to each and every one of his sons and daughters for all eternity. So as God considers you, he sees you as his forgiven son, his forgiven daughter. He doesn't see you as a poorly crafted patchwork quilt. Instead, he paints a picture, a portrait of reality, a portrait of a cross and resurrection and and a life born again, risen to a new life with him. Last week in the Bible study series that the congregation is studying, The Purpose Driven Life, the author of the study reminded us that we were created to become like Christ. From before the foundation of the universe, God intended for us to experience life so that we would develop character and become more Christ-like. And in that lesson, we, we learn that God uses everyday things in our lives to build and shape that character, to, to build and shape us to be the people he wants us to be. Whether it's problems or trouble or triumph or trials, he said, and some of us memorized it, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, God works to build and shape us to be his children. Because we have been called. We have been called according to his purpose. The theological term for that is called sanctification. It's the process of being made holy. The process by which God uses to build and shape and mold us so that every day we become more and more Christ-like, that we continue to move towards that goal. That's our identity. That's who we are. We are redeemed sons and daughters. So as you share in the death of Jesus in your baptism, you too share in his resurrection. God's action on our behalf opens the door for us to discover our true identity. We slip, we fall, we fail, but God is there to say, I forgive you. I incorporate you in my body. We are built into this community. Powered by his grace, we can boldly proclaim we are true to him. We are faithful. We are his because he has given us an imperishable and everlasting identity as sons and daughters of the living God. So we are his children, born in baptism from the imperishable word of God. His promise to you is eternal. I will be with you forever, he says. Your identity is not just a patchwork quilt crafted by you and your experiences. Rather, we have been called by God and we have been built and gathered together into a community. A community that comes together around the word to be his body, the church. 
a place where we can lift one another up, where we can share one another's sorrows, where we can share one another's joys, where we can be in life with one another as his redeemed people. A community that comes together around the word to be the body of Christ. Born again of an imperishable word, that's what life together is all about. It's what God sees. It's our identity. God being true to his word and God being true to you. Giving you the power to live that new life. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.